Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas Augusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Jocelyn DeFries to the show. Jocelyn is an actor, writer, and activist. Currently, you can find her in a recurring role on the CBS all-access show Strange Angel. She's played a leading role in the off-Broadway production of The Enclave at Rattlestick Theater. She starred in a groundbreaking commercial for Sonnet Insurance, one of the first campaigns to feature a trans protagonist. And she starred in Carl A, a film depicting one girl's path to transition. She's also made appearances on The Daily Show, Comedy Central, and CNN. Jocelyn and I both went to the same high school in Omaha, Nebraska, and total non sequitur, we had one of those amazing New York moments where we ran into each other walking down the street after not having seen each other in decades, and we were both like, hey, great to see you. I'm hoping we'll have a a slightly more in-depth conversation today. Welcome to the show, Jocelyn. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I know. I love it. I always do these really grandiose, like, welcome to the show. Uh, right, I feel right. like I should be giving someone an opportunity to walk downstairs to The Price is Right or something, but they don't right. have the opportunity to walk down the stairs to right, Price is right. right. I love the drama of it, though. I'm cascading down the stairs right now. So. <laughs> I love it, too. Jocelyn, what is Strange Angel and what's the character you play in it? Strange Angel is a CBS All Access show that was on for two seasons. It, we were unfortunately canceled uh i've never experienced that (laughs) (laughs) you know it it was such a fantastic experience i'm on season two i play a german trans woman who escaped the nazis named brigitte is this like a time travel show or is this a a period piece it's a period piece. It's based on the life of Jack Parsons. It is about kind of this cult, the sex cult in Pasadena in the 40s. Whoa. Where they practice uh, Thelema. I mean, it's, it's a very crazy story. And I came in in second season once they had kind of turned into this, this old mansion because um, Jack Parsons invented jet fuel. And then he made all this money from the war effort. And then he bought this huge mansion and brought in all of these kind of people who were ostracized on the outside of the world. And they had sex magic where they would kind of conjure things through group sex. (laughs) So I played a German trans woman who escaped the Nazis and um, had uh, a ton of fun. Um, I was, I spent, you know, Five months out in LA last year, and we got canceled in October, November. And um, honestly, I'm I'm grateful for that now because of the fact that it would have been awful to go out there, start shooting, and get excited, and then have the pandemic happen. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you you got to process your grief a little bit about it before the pandemic did it to right. you, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Being thrown got... into isolation would have probably not have been like the most exciting. Yeah, right. You at least so. got to process it with friends at the bar or something like that. Very, that exactly. Nice. Wow. That storyline is phenomenal. Like I have, I had no idea the depth of that storyline and the fact, mm-hmm. the fact that sex magic is a real thing or was a real <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. Like, cause I, I had only, no idea either. I only knew it from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and I just thought it was a joke. Uh, but <laughs> I guess it's like group sex to conjure. What would you conjure? Manifestations. You 
kind of make things happen, like manifest in the world what you want oh, through wow. sex. I mean, Jack Jack Parsons truly. I mean, he kind of thought he was God. The whole team was truly um, just like we were a big family. I mean, we were <laughs> we were playing a cult, so we were like all at the same house all the time. I I still have very close friends from the show. I love all those people. I'm forever grateful for that experience. I absolutely connect with that feeling of finding a home, an artistic home, an artistic family when you actually are also making money, <laughs> when you're actually yeah, getting, you're getting to do it for television and make good money and support yourself. And on top of that, you get to have all of the amazing joys of the artistic experience. Absolutely. That's, that's, those are very rare and they're always really sad when they end. Yeah. Before we get to the other bigger stuff, what'd you have for breakfast? I had blueberries and chia seeds and almonds and soy milk and oatmeal and like cook it all up and you know, make a nice hearty breakfast and great for energy for the for the morning jog. Well, that seems very healthy. Jocelyn, let's dive in. There's so much I want to hear about. So how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Well, my first memories of God would be um, going to Catholic school. Go, I mean, I, I mean, actually younger than that, going to church uh, Christ the King in Omaha mm -hmm. and wow. being, you know, probably three years old and uh, loving the pageantry and the you know, fabulousness of this big grandiose music and incense. And my youngest memory in church is like at Christmas time when it's even more fabulous and laying in my mom's fur coat and it's like satin inside and rubbing around and like being like, I love it here. <laughs> And I was, as a kid, I really, I was a devout Catholic. I want, as a little kid, I remember praying in church and kneeling and knowing that I needed to be quiet and wasn't allowed to talk. And if I was like five years old, I knew my prayers. I knew, you know, I, it was modeled for me. And um, I was actually told, I loved hearing your last interview um, about thinking about becoming a priest mm. because... It was recommended by a <laughs> And now I wonder why he said this, but, you know, uh -huh. back then I thought it was like, because at that time, like, my birth name was Jason. And um, he said, you know, Jason would be, uh, you know, Jason's perfect for the seminary. He would be a great priest. Great priest. <laughs> Probably because he's like, that kid is going to grow up to be either gay or something. And <laughs> he, we need to save him from himself. <laughs> um, you know, and who knows, maybe I, I was very, I respect like, the joke. I think I just want to say, I respect the joke that you're making. And totally, there's a lot of things that you could insert into what that person's thought process was, especially <laughs> sure. in the modern awareness of what priests have been at times. But also it's clear that you had a lot of reverence. I, and I had that too, you know, we, as we're connecting right. about that is, and there part of that might've just been, sometimes I wonder, like, did I just want to be the one alone on the stage, you know, but, right. uh, totally. <laughs> but clearly we also connected with the resonance of that moment, the resonance of being in a group of that many people. And you had a reverence for, for that, whatever that was, there was something that in, in the spirit of that environment. Absolutely. And I will say this, you know, and I'm like being serious, like, you know, um, I joke a lot, but I was a little kid who was in, you know, I had very loving parents. They were amazing, but 
there were some very difficult circumstances in my life. And there was a lot of like severe childhood trauma when I was like very young. And I was also didn't even know what I was experiencing, but something to do with my gender that was very aware since three years old. And so I was Mm. in a lot of, I remember being this little kid in a lot of pain that cried a lot. Mm. And, you know, my mother was a great model for me. She was, she was a Eucharistic minister and she taught me to pray and she grew up with Catholicism and it was like something that was a positive thing for her. She never felt judged by the church or anything like that. Where for me, where I felt different, well, I'll say this. I did hear some really beautiful messages, especially from one priest. I remember that he said some, in his homily, he used a toy to kind of explain something that he said that like God wants us happy. And I remember that being like, oh, but I have to pray really hard. Otherwise I'm going to go to, because all the other messages were there Mm. of purgatory, hell, sin, and these things that were kind of innately inside me, I was being told that they were sins. I was being told that they were, I knew, especially by five or six, that something was very different about me. Yeah, that's got to be so painful to try to reconcile that at such a young age. I do truly think, and I, you know, I have many, many, many friends who are, yeah, identify with the gender they were born as or identified as. And I use that term a lot, cisgender. It's mm-hmm. the accurate description, CIS, for listeners who don't know. It just means the same as where trans means the opposite of. So I'm transgender. So I'm, And I'm cisgender. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Just because a lot of people are like, what does that even mean? Oh, totally. I didn't know what, I mean, honestly, five years ago, I was like, what is this? What is this? No, no, I'm. Well, Jocelyn, I I would say it was in the last year that I understood what cisgender was. I mean, I'm 40 years old, but since then, of course, I've with that, you know, my wife and I going through this together, just trying to understand, okay, so what are we, you know, there's a whole world we've been essentially not fully respectful of. And there are a lot of things to learn. Yeah. I mean, it was very much introduced to me to by my, uh, younger queer friends and they were like, well, this, this, and then non-binary. And then all these things that were not actually even in my vernacular until, you know, the, until totally. the past five years. And that's the Nick, honestly, and like I said this to you earlier, it's like, there has to be a learning curve and there has to be, we have to meet each other with empathy and vulnerability to be able to grow and change because the world is constantly evolving. And I think where a lot of conflict happens in this world is when people just are scared to say, I don't know. Mm. I don't understand. It's, it's scary to say, I mean, it's terrifying to say that. And, you know, I have this kind of spiritual mentor and he said to me, ask your higher power to help you fall in love with the unknown. And I was like, oh my God. And it blew my mind because it's like every day, I, I mean, I'm an actor. I never know what's going to be happening a month from now. There's job security, all these things. It's like everything changes constantly mm-hmm. and trans issues, life issues, anything. It's like that piece of the unknown can be so overwhelming and terrifying, especially in times like a pandemic. Then like maybe two weeks later, he said to me, Jocelyn, my friend said to me today, and it blew my mind, 
God, please help me fall in love with I don't know. Hmm. And taking it that next level, like that humility, it's life changing. I mean, honestly, I, I quote that a lot to a lot of people. That was probably like four years ago. And it it really did change because what one thing that it does is it makes the unknown exciting. Mm. You know, and it makes it like, oh yeah, anything is possible. And that's the piece of like, you know, you become an adult or I became an adult. And all of a sudden it was like, I'm supposed to plan. I can only imagine what it's like having children, planning and planning and all this stuff. And yeah, sure. It's not like some hokey, like, you know, you don't have to plan the future and all this stuff. It's like, no, of course you do. But it's, I spend a lot of my, I have spent a lot of my life worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen 10 years from now. Oh, I've got this bill to pay or health issues. If I can just say, I don't know what's going to happen, that's okay. And God, please help me fall in love with that. It, uh, I mean, even just saying it, it's like, oh, I can breathe. Yeah, I feel very strongly about that. I mean, one of the things that when I, I can't pinpoint exactly when this happened for me, but when I began to realize that actually the great, the wonderful spiritual, if there is a God, that God is every single different variation of life, that exists and the interpretation of that life that exists and going along that theme of it makes the unknown exciting. Once I started realizing that, oh, actually the coolest thing I can do is constantly be surprised by a different way of being a human being or living on this earth. Totally. That is actually the most thrilling thing and that will never end. And I will always be able to connect with a new way of looking at the world and we are given these frameworks as young children growing up in religious environments, and they can be healthy in some ways. And one of the ways they're detrimental is that there is a tendency to just want to fit people into a framework. And right. you tend to think that what you're most comfortable then with is the people that fit with the framework. And you right. are not trained well enough. It's, some people do this, but you know, most of the time, you're not trained well enough to embrace the joy of how different everyone is. And that is just such a shame. You know, as a, as a kid and, you know, as I got older and became more aware of like the differences, if we're just talking about like the gender stuff, not even who I am as a person, because the gender is just a piece, right? I felt so rigid and locked in what I had to do. Otherwise I was going to be bad mm. and I was going to go to hell. And that made me very afraid of God. That mm. made me very afraid and it didn't feel safe. Now I have this belief that I, I see God in everyone. I believe that my higher power speaks to me in you right now in this conversation. My spiritual beliefs come from a world of, you know, 12 steps. I've been mm. in uh, a 12 step program for 17 years. Wow, and wow. You know what? We need to take our first break. So let's okay, pause cool. here. I, I can't wait to have the rest of this conversation. We have to get back to some basics before we get going to the future stuff. Let's right. take a quick break and we'll be back in a couple of minutes with Jocelyn. Awesome. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about 
what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with Jocelyn, and we have to dive back into kind of some of the brass tacks of your of your upbringing and the situation you were in. So you have one brother, is that right? Well, I have two brothers and a sister. The two older ones are like significantly older. They're half, they're half siblings. But, oh, I you see. Know, they're so, yeah. But my brother, he's two years older that um, also grew up in Omaha. He still lives in Omaha, has two kids and a wife and all that. So, um, yeah. and they're amazing. Justin, are your parents still alive? Yeah, they are. They spend... Half the year in California and half the year in Nebraska. But well, this year, actually, they're going to end up probably spending all the year in Nebraska. Oh, right. Yeah. They finally got to take on winter again during the middle of the pandemic. Right. That's no fun. Right. So let's get back to that part of you that maybe you're five or six and you're beginning yeah. to realize that you're getting signals not only from inside yourself, but from the outside that is kind of reflecting like you're different in certain ways. And yeah. so take us from there into what your subsequent journey is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was a very boisterous child. I was very loved to talk. That was mm-hmm. always kind of like social, 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 which is interesting because my family loves to tell me stories that I didn't, I didn't talk until I was three years old. And then, you know, then you couldn't shut me up. Jocelyn, I have a very similar story. My my family, it's just kind of interesting to me that we're connecting in some really kind of primal ways. But that, anyway, I, I, I hear you there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I think that's the actor too, where it's like, I just, I need to get heard. I need to get heard. I need to be, or I need to be heard. It also says something about observation in a child. I think I wanted to know how to say it more the right way. And I had older siblings to kind of be models for me. So when I started talking, I started talking in fuller sentences than a child that age would talk in. And I think there's something about that that says that you were an observer, you know, that you were really taking in your environment. Absolutely. And I I think that is like so spot on and I've never actually thought about it, but it, it is very much, I mean, like my whole life was making myself fit in and, you know, becoming a chameleon in a very literal sense, like with the acting, but also in my interpersonal skills and Mm. taking us back to what happened as I started to learn how different I was. I also became really good at pretending. And I'd always pretended in any of these fantasies of mine, I would always be a girl. Mm. And then as I got older, I realized that people couldn't know that I did that. I mean, like my brother might know or some of my friends might know, but I wouldn't be telling the outside world because that was not okay. Mm. And no one could know that at school because I, you know, two things that I really used to 
fit in throughout grade school was humor. And I was a class clown. And then as I became aware of any kind of quote unquote feminine tendencies or things that could be perceived, you know, it's Omaha, Nebraska in the late eighties and nineties. It's like the one thing that was like worse than anything you could be called was, Oh, you're gay or you're this or you're that. And challenging that as I got older, I realized, okay, I have to, I have to be the guy. And in junior high, that became even more also because I was so opinionated and loud around like the crossover uh, from grade school into junior high. I really was angry. It was at that time where, you know, bodies are changing, hormones are changing. I'm painfully aware of my sexuality um, and being attracted to boys and hearing from priests that that is a sin and that you go to hell for that. Were you sharing that with them in confession, you mean, or were they observing that in you? I shared once. No, like they would talk about it. Like we would have religion class. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And homosexuality. And I shared once in confession, I think probably in fourth grade. And they said, I got shamed horribly for it. That's, and God, man. That, that stuff does so much damage. And that sets you back so many years. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, I mean, there's lots of therapists that made lots of money off of that priest. You know, yeah, it's like. Right, right. So I became very angry with Catholicism. Sure. I would constantly be challenging priests in class. And I was, you know, was, Jason, please, you know, raise your hand, you know, because I didn't want to call on me. And, um, I mean, I still, like, I was an altar boy. I, I really tried to do things right. And then during like kind of the preparation for confirmation in seventh, eighth grade, I was studying, I was doing these things. I, I still remember wanting to want this. I idolized all these very, like John F. Kennedy, who was a Catholic, you know, and I was going to make myself super masculine. I was going to try to fit in. And at my eighth grade uh, confirmation, I just was like, you know what? This is bullshit. And how, how, how did that manifest itself? And, and what, I mean, did you not participate or did you, you went, well, through, you went through the motions, but did you do anything in particular? So at the confirmation ceremony, I believe it's, you know, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I kept my mouth completely shut. Mm. Very like. I'm taking a stand against this. Cause it was like, I was in so, I mean, and I look at that and I was 14 years old and I was in so much pain. I also at the, around this time, part of my coping with sexuality and very much about sexuality and shame. I, you know, became active bulimic. I became an active in eating disorder Ugh. and it was, you know, I'm good. I can't control what's going on inside me. So I am going to control what's happening outside of me with binging and purging. And, you know, and I got shamed for that at school. I got in trouble for that at school, you know, mm-hmm. and God bless my, you know, my parents, they had no, they had no idea how to cope with that. I went to counseling, but it was like, they had never ha- had any experience. And it was, and for a boy to have to be bulimic, there's an extra added amount of shame. Right. Fast forward, I go to all, all guys boarding school where you sleep in a giant dorm with 30 other guys. And I 
in the those junior high years, I have kind of been ostracized for people finding out these things about me. And I was going to a high school where my brother was two years older. I could kind of start over and um, because none of the kids from my grade school went there. And, you know, and I had lots of friends and I had made myself fit in, but all those guys were going to prep. Just to be clear for people, like prep is an all-male Jesuit high school that I graduated from, that Jocelyn graduated from. But Jocelyn went to a different all-male boarding school in Omaha, Nebraska to start. Yeah, exactly. But because of I had gone through those experiences in seventh and eighth grade and I'd been having breakdowns. And I mean, this is like, this is kind of terrifying. <laughs> you know, I'm hearing this for you and like putting myself in this position is, it's terrifying to think about. Totally. And it will, um, it actually will, <laughs> it makes me emotional to talk about because it's like sure going to um, Mount Michael then, I was like, I am going to be so popular. I am going to run cross country. I'm going to be thin. And I stopped purging then for the most part and purge through exercise. And I, all the girls from Duchenne and Marion thought Jason DeFries was a hot guy. And I had the, you know, the blonde hair, blue eyes, and I was fitting in and going to dances and all the older girls from schools love me. So I was like, Oh, I can be, you know, like forgive the term, but like a pimp, that's how (laughs) I'm going to make myself fit in. And, you know, I was going to, overtly use my sexuality to counter and I was going to date all these girls and I was going to have sex and I was going to do all these things to try to fit in and you know and it worked it worked and but I was dying inside and um I was so scared of anyone finding out that I was at that point identified as gay in the middle of the semester I had only been a it was like October and in the middle of the semester, I couldn't take it anymore. And I, um, I attempted suicide at Mount Michael. Oh my gosh. I did not know that Jocelyn. Wow. Yeah. It's so funny that you didn't know that because I thought I was miserable being alone with all these guys all the time. I couldn't go to school for two weeks. It was like, I was hospitalized and now there everyone thinks I'm crazy. Some of my prep friends found out, but, so in, I transferred to Creighton Prep in Omaha, and I started there in January. And I think right at that time is when freshman retreat was. Wow. And you were one of the, I, I don't even, were you upperclassmen? So I was one of the friends is what happens is there's like a, the way freshman retreat works is that the freshmen coming in have, uh, they get put off into random groups of six or seven or whatever it was. And then um, the juniors and seniors of the school at that time get to have their own kind. They get to take over a classroom and then the, all the kids get to take over the school over a long weekend. And it's two nights and three days of a retreat setting. And it's in a spiritual environment, but it's a lot of just like kind of interpersonal building and opening up. And it's a really beautiful experience. It was It was a beautiful experience for me. And I was in your, I was the friend Dan, to, of yeah, Dan, Dan Linehan. Linehan. Yeah. So Dan Linehan yeah. is a really dear friend of mine to this day. And he asked me to be his friend. Essentially it's, he's the leader, but then he brings in an extra person that's part of the upperclassmen to be another person that's there. And so 
Jocelyn, it's possible that what you're saying is that you mentioned that during that time, and I've maybe forgotten this, is what you're saying, that that was a part of your life? Is that Are you about to say that you did mention that in, in the retreat yeah, setting? Well, no, well, this is the thing, is I thought everyone knew. Hmm. You know, actually, um, okay, so I walk in, and I was terrified to be alone with all these guys, because none of the guys in my group I knew. I right. didn't, you know, you or Dan. I didn't know who knew what. I didn't know. I was trying so hard to, you know, be a dude or be cool. Jocelyn, and I mean, I, you had just left in an environment where you were forced to sleep with a bunch of dudes in these big communal environments. It was so painful for you that you have this tragic experience. You leave it, and now you have to go sleep with men in a communal environment. It's, it seems kind of totally shocking that this would be the course of these events, but okay, uh, go on. And, but I remember that weekend I cried. I, I remember this is the thing. This was the, what's so powerful. And this is what's so cool about the, like how full circle stuff is. You and Dan were so good to me, especially you, Nick. That's sweet. And that weekend I felt like I was a part of this community and I felt like, I thought you and Dan knew, like in my head, I'm like, oh, they've given like our backgrounds. I mean, I really thought, like, I really thought there was probably a lot more into that whole thing because it was so powerful. Yeah, maybe Dan knew. You know, I yeah. I don't know. And and honestly, Jocelyn, I'm I might have known and forgot. You know, uh, sure. But it's very heartwarming for me to see what that was like from your perspective a little bit. Um, exactly how you were entering into that environment when we met each other for the first time. And to know, obviously, that you have a positive, a very positive uh, experience in your memory of that time is really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I mean, it's very, it's very true. And I, I, that's where I said, you know, when we started this conversation, I'm like, you know, I know you have a genuine heart. I remember that from when you were, you know, a 16 year old or 17 year old kid. Mm. And, um, oh, and so, yeah, absolutely. I genuinely mean that. And so that kind of was like this nice introduction to the school. And, you know, over the years, it's like, I still held on to that identity of being the guy that's going to fit in. And I, but I had all these girlfriends that went to, you know, the girls school and, I came out to them as gay, two of them at that point, right around freshman retreat. And I just said, I'm going to keep this a secret till I graduate high school. And we kind of planned the girls that I was going to date to fit in, which, you know, it was just like, whatever, that's what I had to do to feel like I could survive. Cause I also, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be a part of like every kid does. And so I was going to figure out, I was going to use my humor and my interpersonal skills and manipulation to fit in. The amount of planning and thinking and strategizing to make your life feel some semblance of normal is just, it's, over, it's overwhelming to think about that, a child having to navigate that because you're still a child at 16, 17, you know? Oh That's, my God. That's um, really, you know, it's so compelling and, and heartbreaking. It, you're talking about, you, you have a lot of power as you talk about this story because the story is not something, you've clearly done an enormous amount of work and we'll hear more about 
what that journey is as you come to understand yourself so much better. But so you have power over being able to tell this story and that's really inspiring. But man, I mean, listening to what that was for you and, and just, just trying to, just getting a taste of a window into what that must've been like for you is, it's, uh, it's painful to try to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, um, yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's a, it is exhausting. And it, and I also like been diagnosed with multiple learning disabilities, like dysgraphia, dyslexia. Oh my gosh. Um, dyscalculia. And I did horribly in school. Oh, and so I, on top of it, you're just like, a slower reader than everybody else. And, yeah. You know, jeez. Oh, and I got shamed a lot for that from school, from teachers, you know, it's like, and I, I had an older brother who very much excelled in school and he, it was very easy for him. And so I would watch that and it, I just gave up. I was just like, you know what? I'm not even going to try. And so then of course, you know, parents are like, you got to do your homework. You got to, you know, and I was just like, no, I'm not doing, you know, and then also my social life became all my life was about and going to the parties and our high school definitely had a reputation for having a, a lot of guys who drank. For sure. Oh man. And, and I was one like, of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I drank, a, I, I could drink and I could date girls and I could be funny. And when I drank, this is one thing I say a lot about like drugs and alcohol too, is like all the long throughout childhood, I was always looking for something. I, I see it now with perspective is that I was looking for God. <laughs> I was looking for something to take me closer to God. And when I drank at first I had euphoria. So uh, as a kid, I'm like, you know, 16 years old. And I'm like, you know what? I feel great about myself. I don't care. Oh, and it's like, I'm looking for a spiritual experience. And I was hearing a great priest. He, God bless the man, but he would say, oh boys, oh boys, the worst thing you can be, the worst thing you can be is gay. Oh. And everyone would, everyone would laugh and it was a joke and, oh, everyone loved this father. I'm not going to say who it was, right. but, um, you know, he was a sweet old, I, I, he looked like he was a hundred years old, but he was probably like 60. Yeah, um, I have an idea of who you're talking about. Yeah, of course. And he, I loved him as, but so I came out, I, I came out individually to like six different guys who were all like football players and basketball players that were my buddies, very popular guys that got in fights. And that was my junior year and I strategized it. And then one after another and would have one with me when I told this one. And it was all like a joke because DeFries was a pimp and, oh, yeah, oh, we just, uh, you know, it was like I strategized. I don't know how I had the energy for that, but I did. Did they receive it okay? Oh, my God, yeah. All of them were so cool about it. That's so cool. And, and to be clear, also, it was like they were like, yeah, DeFries, you're cool because you don't act gay. Oh, you know, right. all these things. So it's like, oh, I got to keep up this image. And <laughs> then it was, I was in this class of moral values my junior year. And one of the topics for class on the syllabus was homosexuality in the Catholic Church. Mm. And I was with all my buddies and I was like, you know what? We were drunk and it was a Friday night. I was like, you know what? I'm going to come out in class on Monday. I'm just going to talk about it. And everyone's like, dude, no. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, well, me. and you know, and these guys, they were so, 
great because they were like, we're going to meet you outside. And two of the guys were in my class and they were like, anyone says shit, we'll, you know, we'll fuck them up. You know, so they were there for that. And I did. And it was so dramatic. Wow. And one of the boys was saying that because the teacher asked, you know, what? So what is everyone's opinion on homosexuality or knowledge? And this kid, he said, and I, I consider myself superior to him, which is, you know, it's like as a kid, you're either constantly comparing yourself. So it's like I'm one up from him or I'm one down from this guy, you know? Right. And he said, you know, homosexuality is wrong. It's sick. All this stuff. And I was like, hey, do you think I'm disgusting? And he was like, no, DeFreeze, you're cool. And then it's like, you think I'm a freak? And he's like, what? No. And I'm like, because I'm gay. And the whole room goes silent. And the teacher's mouth drops. Wow. And then I spoke to the faculty. I mean, it was like there was another teacher who was there that wasn't allowed to come out publicly to the students because of the Catholic Church. And, you know, he ended up leaving the school. And those two teachers were friends. And I ended up having... Uh, a conversation with him and he was very understanding and he kind of became my advisor. Mm-hmm. I transferred to having him as my advisor and I would go to lunch and talk to him about it, That's about great. things that were going. Yeah. And flash forward to my senior year and I'm heavily using drugs, heavily drinking a lot. I also did a play outside of school at the, it was called the pride players that, you know, was once the Emmy Gifford and now the Rose or something. Or right, 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 right. And it was the first year that they started and it's actually still around. They do it every year now, and which is very cool. And I was a part of the, the first one and I gave a monologue. I gave a monologue about coming out and the, the president of the school the father who had said that offensive term or who had said that offensively during class and another priest who awesome guy who you would know, and I'm sure you love him. They all came Mm. and they supported me. And the priest who had said that during class, he got emotional afterwards. He came up to me and he had tears in his eyes. And this is a 70 year old man. And he said, Jason, Oh, Jason, I'm so sorry. And he was like, you know, that was such a powerful story. And I'm so sorry. I just want you to know that. And I was like, what? Blown away. Mm. A Catholic priest can admit that? And the Jesuits really, truly changed those men, especially. They changed the way that I saw Catholicism. It it didn't make me stay a Catholic by no means. I don't agree with the teachings. But I'll say this. I don't believe in the teachings for myself. But I do believe that any religion, if it's one person's path towards God or to a higher power or to a a more comfortable place with themselves and living the world and living a better life, then, you know, there's value in it. Jocelyn, this is an amazing story. It's really compelling. And we now have to take our last break. And uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. 
Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners, and it means a lot to me because I read them, and it's nice to read nice things. Okay, everyone, we're back in our final segment with Jocelyn. It's been such a beautiful conversation. I honestly am somewhat at a loss for words, but I appreciate you being so specific and sharing your journey. And we're still, I mean, barely in the middle of it at this point. <laughs> so where we leave off is you've had this, this really rewarding acknowledgement from some of the people that you mentioned in your story that were unaware, they were ignorant of the ways in which they were causing you pain because of because of their lack of open-mindedness. But they come to you at this pride players moment where you're giving this monologue about coming out. And it's a beautiful acknowledgement of your journey and people seeing you at that stage in your life. You're still very young. You haven't even gone to college. So tell me about what happens from here. Where do you go to college? Where do you go to college and what happens? I go straight from Nebraska to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. I, you know, all the while, like, partying like crazy. I mean, I, at this point in that summer between high school and freshman year, it was like, it was just a blur of drinking and lots of drugs and numbing, 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 and thinking that I'm going to move to New York and everything's going to be great. And I'm going to finally be, that piece of me is finally going to be open. And um, meanwhile, I, because I was in a relationship with someone who identified as straight, except for me. He's like, I don't know if I'm bi, whatever. But I became so painfully jealous of cis women. Mm. And I became so pain. And I, I had always had in my mind this thought that if I would have been born a girl, my life would have been easier. But I thought all gay guys felt that way. Wow. Um, I hated my genitalia, but I thought all gay guys felt that way. I thought you know, all these things that I just, and all I saw was that I, I mean, I saw these people ridiculed on Jerry Springer's Bill Donahue, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Ricky Lake, you know, that's all I knew of what transgender was. And then it was like, but I was in this relationship with a man who was, or a boy, because we were still kids that he would say, um, I feel like you're my girlfriend, not my boyfriend. And I would get furious because I had been fighting that femininity that was within me for 18 years. And so I, I get to New York, I'm drinking, I'm using, I'm, and I, I sworn that I wasn't going to drink and use because I thought it was going to interfere with my acting. And all I care about was my acting. And I want to be a famous actor by the time I'm 19. You know, it's like, oh sure. and it was like two weeks in and I went out with a bunch of the kids and they all are like, we're going to have beers. And I end up, you know, drinking a ton and ending up doing a bunch of cocaine. And, and my boyfriend was living with me in New York. And um, I thought I would rather be dead than, well, he left me. He went back to Nebraska and I thought I would rather be dead than, well, okay. All I wanted was to be with him. And if I wasn't a girl, I couldn't be with him. And I never can be a girl because that's not possible. That's not a reality. So I'm just going to kill myself because I can't deal with this pain anymore. God, Jocelyn. Wow. And I OD'd and I ended up in a hospital and I wow. lived. And it was like, you know, 
on some uh, deep spiritual level, it was a cry for pain. But every suicide attempt I've ever had was with all the ambition to die because of the pain was so great. And um, can I ask you something? Yes, please. What is it like to wake up in the hospital when you just say you had all the ambition? Like, what is the first thought when you go, oh, I'm the last thing I remember was trying to do something, and now I, I didn't accomplish that. I'm here. Um, it's incredibly painful. It is incredibly painful because uh, I will say this. Um, that was... It is incredibly painful to wake up in the hospital and one, know that the world knows of what you've just done to yourself and the shame that is involved with that. And, you know, the, the kind of the messages that are along with that, it's so selfish, it's this, it's that, you know, but now it's like the understanding of, you know, people are like, let's take the stigma away from suicidal, from people who commit suicide or depression so we can help people. And it's taking away that shame stigma that happens. It's like, it's not someone committing suicide. It's someone dying of suicide. Mm. It's someone who it's, um, it's, it's your being, you know, if it's life circumstances, but it's also chemical, you know, chemical changes, whatever it is, trauma, all these things are together. I mean, one thing that I will always say is that um, I have I have physical scars. I do have physical scars of my suicide attempts. But every trans person I know has scars on the inside. Mm. And those scars are huge and deep. And I watch people live with them every day. And it's like I've been given, you know, and so to to jump back to transition I, you know, I, I, I wake up from this suicide attempt. It feels like I've disappointed the world. I'm disappointed that I'm still here because I don't know how to sit with these feelings. And I use a lot of drugs and I drink a lot to medicate even more. And then I do acid one day in this first day of spring of 2001. And it is so clear to my friends, like, Jason, you have been depressed and drinking and your life is drifting away in front of you. What do you need to be happy? And I said, honestly, I, and we were driving around. It's like five in the morning. The sun's coming up. And I say, honestly, I need to fake my death, move to Europe and have a sex change. It was the first time it was so clear to me. And I, I have a complete understanding of why it was originally used for, you know, therapeutic reasons. Cause there was the, a, space for clarity. I'm not endorsing the use of drugs in any way because I don't know that it's helpful, but I I had a spiritual experience. Yeah. And I mean, I have too. You don't want us to go on record as saying this is the right thing to do for everybody and you have to do things in in yeah. safe circumstances and all that stuff. But um that is an amazing discovery. Yeah. And it was and I took it back the next day, but within a month I had come out to everyone wow. and I watched a documentary 
because of what kind of prompted me to come out was I watched a documentary where people are like, and it was like on MSNBC and a trans, a, a group of trans women are talking about, it doesn't go away. It's always there. Be prepared to lose everyone in your life. I mean, it was a bleak, a Oof. bleak life that they were, you know, professing. And I was devastated and I thought my life was over. But I was like, I'm going to do this. I came out to my parents and they were like, you know what? And I said to them, I'm like, you told me you would love me no matter what. This is what it is. And my parents had no idea what transgender was. I had no idea. I'm like, how the hell do you know that? We're, we're not educated in this world, especially in the 90s and two, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that stuff then either. Absolutely. Honestly, what I thought, and I regularly said this is like, I thought it was a gay guy that couldn't cut it. Wow. And gratefully, um, in order to start hormones at that point, and I back then there was these things called the Harry Benjamin Standards of Care, which were very rigid rules, which for me actually did help me because I don't think every trans person needs to jump through this many hoops to get on hormones. Um, I don't think that's fair. I think it's I, I think it's wrong, but thank God I believe in everything happens for a reason. And the universe was like, you know what? Um, we're not going to give you hormones unless you get sober. So I went to rehab. I got sober. And are you God like 21? How old are you? A month before my 21st birthday. I, got I sober. mean, your life. The first time. There is so much intensity in your yeah. life. I mean, this is so, it's yeah. just, there's so much that a child has to navigate when you're dealing with these feelings. I mean, you are just, it's very affecting, Jocelyn, you know, and to try to put myself as to, I mean, to even navigate a percentage, a tiny minuscule percentage of what you were navigating before I was even 21 years old, uh, it's, it's, it's very impactful. So you're very young, but you've made, you've, you've finally made this immense discovery and you get sober. Okay. I'm going to get you back on track. So now you're, you're getting sober. I'm getting sober. I am kind of jumping through these hoops. I get on hormones. I, the eating disorder comes back and rears its ugly head because addiction's just something that you use to, to numb pain. And, um, yeah, I get in recovery from, so you're sober, but you, but another addict, the old addiction pops up again to fill the place of the other addiction. Exactly. Cause I mean, that's the thing. It's like yeah. a game, a game of uh, whack-a-mole, you know, it's, um, and you have so much that's still emotionally that and psychologically that you need to, I mean, you've made an amazing discovery, but now it's just the beginning of an entirely new journey. I mean, you have an enormous oh. amount of pain to work through. I mean, we uh, you, again, you're still a child. <laughs> you know, you haven't yeah. even gone through this. This is still 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Okay. And it's, um, my parents were amazing and they grew with me along the journey. My, fa my extended family was amazing. I'm very, very lucky. I, I financially had support. I'm eternally grateful for that. You know, but I was lost in those years too. I was really lost. Thank God I was tethered by a spiritual program that kind of like guided me through that. And it, at, you know, 28, um, I had had all these different procedures that I thought I needed to do to fit into the world. 
because society said, well, this is what a woman is. So if you want to be a woman, you better do this. Hmm. And so I had long blonde hair and I had big boobs and I'd had some plastic surgery so I could feel like I was enough in this world, which is horrific, Hmm. (laughs) you know, and the press and it's very difficult to you cannot transition from living and being experienced in the world as male to transitioning and being experienced in the world as a female without becoming one seeing hypocrisy, one seeing the pain that like the misogyny and the uh, like patriarchy at work and how incredibly limiting society is towards women Mm. and the pressures of what it means to be an attractive woman. And, you know, it's like guys just shower, wake up, get ready, like don't have to do anything. They roll out of bed, shower, and they are on the road. Women, the expectation is very intense. Mm-hmm. And what uh, the unrealistic expectations of for a trans person that I put on my body, I was, I, you know, uh, genetically, I, I mean, I don't even know what the right term is, like, and then I'm trans. So I'm like, genetically, biologically was male. And I'm trying to make my body fit into the society's ideal of what a woman should be. And that's, you know, you look at magazine covers and all that stuff. And that's, that's an, that's an incredible thing for any woman, cis or trans or whatever to try to fit into. That's unrealistic. But then adding this additional layer and, and I wasn't, I tried to quit acting and I always came back to it. And um, so it was like, that was what chose me. Acting chose me. And over those years, there was like slips and falls and, you know, not staying sober necessarily. It was, it was a, a, but it was a, a life journey. And then finally I was going to acting school again and, um, I got cast in a film. I got cast in Carla and I met Laverne Cox. She was my co-star. This is before Orange is the New Black. This is before any of these things. And um, she was my first really close trans friend. Um, I hadn't had any close trans friends. I've been very transphobic of trans people because I, you know, internalized transphobia because I was so ashamed of who I was. Hmm. But she introduced me to on some very, very deep levels to myself. And what I mean by that is reflecting, uh, reflecting to me, um, myself. I think I see myself in other people often and that's some of my own beauty. And when I could recognize it in another trans person, I could recognize it in myself and not say that was an immediate thing, but she also introduced me literally to many, many trans women. And we have a group of sisters and uh, I since have built a community of queer people. And with that, it kind of feels like having people with shared experience and feeling and all throughout that. I mean, that's almost 10 years ago, seven years ago, I had a, uh, a very, very difficult relationship that went down and I had like a relapse and I had, I was very like, down and I, the unrealistic expectations, the listening to society and what I needed to be for other people was never going to fuel me in this world. It was never going to be rewarding in my career. Being unhealthy 
and being abusive to myself, perpetuating the abuse that was done to me by verbally by society was not going to serve me. And I committed seven years ago to, you know, with sobriety around drugs and alcohol, but also around food and eating disorder and taking care of myself and being loving to myself. And I had this community of queer people that supported me. I dove in. I had uh, another kind of mentor come into my life that taught me that um, to write a gratitude list every day and to write a manifestation list every day. Mm. And I started writing a manifestation list of the number one thing. And this is what's kind of amazing. It's a full circle back to Strange Angel is I started writing um, today I'm manifesting playing a German trans woman who escapes the Nazis. Mm. And that was five years ago. And um, are you kidding me? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, like it's that's like magical. Well, yeah. But in that time, and this is where I did that manifestation list. I practiced, you know, this relationship with the higher power. I practiced. I also found the importance of telling my story. And I started writing my story with a co-writer. But I was also always very for whatever divine reason, um, obsessed with Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. And I learned about pink triangles and I learned about the queer community in Berlin during that time. And I became obsessed with it. And so I started, I hired my friend with the little money that I had. He took very little and we started co-writing a feature. Mm. And this is in 2018, the fall of 2018 and on January 1st of 2019, we finished the first draft of the script, which was the um, true story of a modern trans woman and the true story of a trans woman who lived through the, the Holocaust. And that I had went to Germany and researched them I mean, is a long story, but, and then we finished the first draft of that on January 1st of 2019 and meanwhile, I'm still writing my manifestation list. At the in the third week of January of 2019, I get an audition breakdown that says German trans woman who escaped wow. the Nazis. Jeez, that is phenomenal. And it was like you know, you know, if it's coincidence, whatever. I choose to believe that you know, not that I'm so powerful that I manifested something to happen, but. I definitely truly believe that, you know, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it, like there's something about moving that energy and having faith in that the universe will reveal what is meant to be. And it happened. And um, since then, beautiful things have happened for my script and has evolved just along with me. And this is the piece. It's like, you know, when someone asks about my transition and they say, you know, when did you, when did you have your transition or when did your transition happen? And it's like, well, this is the thing that, you know, I'm 38 years old and I look back at my life and just thus far and I say, oh my God, I've been transitioning since day one, since I came into this world. Everyone is. Hmm. The, the, be the beautiful perspective of identifying as trans is that like, I have the gift of perspective. I have the gift of being like, oh, this was my life. You know, it's it's not before and after. It's all during. It's all part of a process. It's all transition. And who, I mean, the way I express, if we're looking purely in terms of gender, 
the way I express myself gender-wise today is compared to where I was five years ago and where I was five years before that and five years before that is constantly evolving. Something you said off mic to me was you still see your journey, and this is what you're speaking to now, is that your transition isn't something of the past, that your transition is like for all of us. We should all be looking to evolve and grow and transition into a more enlightened self. Your transition is is both metaphorical and literal, but your, your transition is, you see it as something that is still ongoing, both in the spiritual sense, but also in, in a more practical sense. Is that, is that something that you're saying? 100%, 100%. And I think that there is a universal, there is a universal concept of transition. People will say transitioning into the next world or whatever. I have this very like literal sense of, you know, transitioning genders but what that does is it has given me such deep insight. It's a truly a privilege. You know, I don't identify and some trans people identify as women, trans women. And I just, I truly identify as a trans person. And it is something that is a privilege. I am privileged. I don't want to be a woman anymore because what the gift that I have been given of my life experience is freaking beautiful it's beautiful there's a lot of pain but i truly believe that my ability to feel joy is directly related to my ability to feel pain and so on the flip side of in great pain is great 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 joy wow jocelyn this story is so just poignant and intimate and intense and beautiful, and I'm really so grateful for you allowing me to listen to it and share it, and I'm really impressed and inspired by the courage that it takes to take on this type of life, to see the reality of what you really wanted and to make it become your reality is a really courageous act. I think that's very clear. And I just really appreciate you sharing it. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share it with you. It's so awesome to reconnect. Uh, and again, anytime I tell my story or share a piece of my story, it's healing for me. And I think that's the truth. Like anything that's said out loud is we live in a world of don't say it. If it's, you know, if it's not perfect, don't say it. And it's um, not the case. It's not the case. It's better said out loud. Jocelyn, don't hang up just yet. I got to say goodbye to the show and then I'll say goodbye to you afterwards, okay? Awesome. All right, everyone. And thank you all for listening. You know, I, I, we may not know each other, but I do know, like, I knew you as a kid. And so it's like, I know you're an authentic, good human being. And so that you're not coming from a, you know, oh, you know, like offensive place or where you're trying to offend me or where you're trying to say anything. So don't, please don't hesitate to ask a question that you feel 
I really t- truly believe in like the divine and I think every conversation is divine. And I think that if you're inspired to ask something, fucking ask it. Well, that is very sweet and very generous. And I really appreciate yeah. that. 